Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, My name is Christian. I am the lead pastor. I get to do that. I'm glad to get to do that. Glad to be a part of the Grove Church, and I want to welcome you again to joining us, worshiping with us. Again, if we haven't met, uh, it's a, a very special privilege to have you with us and, and be here as we honor the Lord Jesus and hopefully learn how to walk with Him. I want to ask you a question. What if, what if someone told you that, you know, they, they came to you and they said, you know, wherever you go, I'll be there. Now, you can you can respond to that a couple different ways, right? Does, so I wonder, does your mind go to something slightly creepy, okay? <laughs> I may, maybe it evokes something like this. Sting, right? Every move you make, every step, step you take. Sting will be watching you, right? That's what the police said. <laughs> Funny thing about that song, he, we've taken it to be some kind of love song. He actually wrote it knowing it was like meant to be a kind of a creepy, like, I can't get over this person song. So take with that whatever you do with it, whatever you will. But, um, or, or maybe like we, our mind can go to something maybe slightly less creepy, but we have these things in pop culture like, like Santa Claus, right? There's sort of this, this, I mean, he knows you, right? He, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He's, he's paying attention to everything that's going on. So maybe we kind of get this, you know, spying Santa Claus sort of deal. And, and the re- reality is Santa could feel the same way, right? I mean, our relationship with him is we're constantly, like, trying to catch him in the act, right? There's, all the, there's even a, an app for spying on Santa. There's an entire app for that. So there's sort of this dysfunctional relationship when it comes to, to Santa Claus and, and kind of creepy, Maybe you think of something, though, a little bit more reassuring, right? My mind went to Top Gun. You never, ever leave your wingman, right? We, we want maybe that person in our life, we go, man, I know I can count on them. They're not going to leave. They'll be there when I need them. And so whatever you're thinking about, right, however you, you think of that initial question, what we're doing today is looking at another attribute of God. We've been in Psalm 139. We're going to continue there. And what we're asking is, what does it mean for God to be these things, to, to be the, the four attributes, the four things that we're going to talk about? We looked at last week that he is omniscient. He knows everything. What does it mean to be known by Jesus? And, and what does it mean to know him? And how do these characteristics of God shape our living? Okay, that's what we're looking at. And so, again, Psalm 139, we're going to jump back in. You can turn to page 558 in that Bible that's under your seat. We'd love for you to, to use that during this time. A lot of the, the, the sorry scripture will be up on the screens. Um, but you can follow along as we look at Psalm 139. And then if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a, a paper like this kind of Bible, and that's our gift to you. So feel free to take that on your way out. Take the pens. You know, take just about anything that you want. There's some tables around. No. Um, but, but really, we, we would love for you to, to have that. So Psalm 139, let's jump in. I want to go back. We looked at verses 1 through 6 last week. I just want to read verse 5. We'll just go backwards just a little bit. We looked at this briefly. One of the things that, that David, who became the, the king of Israel and wrote a number of the Psalms, 
One of the things he says about God, he says, you've encircled me, you've placed your hand on me. I mean, the idea there was that you've been hemmed in by God, that he is before and behind, and, and it could feel a little uneasy unless we understand what it means that his hand, it's a hand of blessing. He's there in order to help. That's, that's the idea that David has expressed already. But then it goes on and it still maybe casts a little bit of doubt in terms of what does this mean for God to be so close, to be there? Okay, so verse 7, he asks this question, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, right? If I'm asking that question, how do I get away from you? That doesn't necessarily evoke, you know, close relationship. But he's asking these questions, and we'll see where, he, where he's going with it. He goes on, he says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which was the Jewish word, Jewish understanding of, of the dead, where do the dead go before they even understood the fullness of what is hell? He says, if I make my bed there, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So stop there. We're going to look next week, continue on, but but stop there. And and what I want us to to see first off is what David is talking about here is what we've come to understand is, is the word omnipresence. He's talking about the omnipresence of God. And so here's my my summary of what that means, and we'll look at it in a little bit more depth, but here's the summary of that. That means that God is distinct. He's distinct from all that he has created. He's larger than the universe, and yet he's fully present everywhere at all times. You say, is that everything that David just said? Yeah, he really does. But he's saying it poetically. He's saying it in a certain way. He, again, remember, David's engaging with this not just abstractly. He's not just trying to line out, hey, here's some key things you need to know about God. Four things to make your life better because you know about God. No, he's engaging personally with the God of the universe. And he's, he's, he's trying to work through, okay, what does this mean for my life, for my situation right now? So I want to, let's look at this. He says God is distinct from all that he's created. That, that's a massive distinction. Okay? Because most of our understanding of God or gods, okay, the, most of the other understanding of that is that God is somehow bound up. The, the gods are bound up in creation. In, in fact, science is a distinctly Christian or Judeo-Christian endeavor, in part because prior to a, a, an idea of there is a, there's one true God who is distinct from creation, the idea was there are gods, there are supernatural beings, but they are bound up in the creation. So if the thunder, if thunder goes off, you don't stop and go, you know what, I should investigate what's happening in the atmosphere and how is this all working with the, the solar system and all the things that go into that. You don't investigate that. You just go, hey, what made Thor mad? <laughs> right? Like that, he's the god of thunder. That we just, we just, if, if there's something going on, that bush dies, you just go, 
Well, I don't know. I guess we made the bush god mad. So let's figure out how to get him or her happy again, and maybe life will be better. But God is distinct from his creation. And so there's something to explore when we talk about creation itself. So we're talking about a God that is, that is different. He's larger than the universe. He's not bound by that. We'll get to that in a second. And yet fully present everywhere at all times. Now I want you to hear just from one theologian. I had lots of these and just whittled it down to one. I just want you to hear from one. This book, Five Minute Theologian, one of my favorites. It's just a really great way to get into some really big ideas. Rick Cornish says it like this. He says, technically, as spirit, God is not spatial at all. He created space and is not contained within it. His infinity is not just bigger than all external space and smaller than any internal space. Okay, think Ant-Man. In fact, instead, he is beyond all spatial measurements. You can't talk about God in terms of size. He is greater than all of that. Again, he is omnipresent, which means he is unlimited. He is in, unlimited when it comes to knowledge. That's what we looked at last week. But he's not just li- unlimited when it comes to knowledge. He is unlimited in space and time. He is not contained by them, and he is not constrained by them. Okay? It's big ideas. He is fully present, and yet he is not bound by these ideas of space and time. That's, that's mind-blowing. And as I've said before, it should be. If you worship a God that you can easily wrap your head around every part of who or it is, then you're probably worshiping something that you have created. But God reveals himself and says, no, I, you didn't try. I mean, I'll give you some categories. I'll make myself known to you. But if you think you can just sort of package me up and understand this all just perfectly, you're missing something. It's said another way. God himself speaks. In Jeremiah 23, he's quoted, he says, Am I a God who is only near and not a God who is far away? And he says, do you only think of me? I mean, here he's actually getting at the fact like, I'm involved in your life, but do you not realize I am great? I am far more than you imagine. He he says, can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? Just like David's saying. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? And and by fill, he means more than. It's just, again, he's he's unbound by these things. So here are the implications of God's omnipresence. One, God's authority stretches across all of creation. His authority stretches across all of creation. There's not a part of creation that he isn't the Lord of. Abraham Kuyper, maybe you've heard that name, but he's, he's not exactly super well-known outside of the kind of theological circles at, in many places, but he's actually a man who had profound influence on culture. He makes this statement. I'll explain more who he is. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, Kuyper was a politician. He was a pastor. He started a newspaper. He started a university. Um, He was prime minister in the Netherlands. What he was doing was thinking about, wait, if Jesus is who he says he is, then what does this mean for all of life? So he's famous for, for really thinking deeply and well about what it means to engage all the world 
as a Christ follower. He says, to do that, you've got to understand, there's nothing in the universe that isn't subject to King Jesus. But here's the other thing, right? He, he is Lord over all of that, and yet what we're saying in his omnipresence is that each one of us, every single one of you, right here, right now, has his full and undivided attention. He is not, it's not a thing where you get a little bit of him spread over here and then a little bit of him spread over there and, and he can only give you what he can manage, you know, manage because he's spread so thin. No, he is fully engaged everywhere at all times. Now the downside of that, the thing we have to all come to grips with is, and as David is pointing out, there's nowhere to hide. We're all laid bare before the king of the universe who knows everything about us and is always there. And we've got to come to grips. You've got to deal with that reality and think about how do I respond to that truth? Now, we've been saying that when we talk about God, we're, we're talking about, specifically, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. He, he came to earth lived life as a, I mean, he was human. He is human, perfectly human, more human than even us. And yet he's also fully God. And so we're wanting to, to think about, well, why does this matter if we're to know and walk with Jesus? Why does it matter that God is omnipresent? How does Jesus display that kind of, that, that quality? And especially think about this, right? What I've just said is he is fully present everywhere, and yet he walked this earth. He traveled roads that other people built. And, and he wasn't in two places at once during that time. He would say, hey, Jesus, we need you. And he'd, he'd travel somewhere, right? So this, you start to think about this, and you're, maybe your mind starts to, you know, you're like, wait, did, what did he just say? Like, I, have I had enough coffee? I don't know. Because that's, that's hard, again, to wrap our heads around. So how do we think about the presence of Jesus? What difference does it make? So I want you to see three things. First off, because Jesus came to earth, just like I was describing, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The incarnation. Because he came to earth, but then also because he ascended to heaven, you and I can be with him forever. Okay, that's the first implication. So we actually have the ability to be with God forever. But it's because Jesus not only came, but also, listen to those specific words, ascended to heaven. Because he's not here in a certain way that we'll see, that means that we can be with him forever. So I want to just walk back through a little bit towards the, really you could talk about the entire ministry of Jesus, but you get to the tail end of, of Jesus' ministry, and at, at different points he says, you know what, I'm going to leave. But then he promises to return. John 14, 3, he says, if I, we looked at it last week, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where, you, where I am, you may be also. So he makes this promise. He says, look, I've come, but I'm going to leave, and that has everything to do with us being together forever. And yet, at the same time, he does make a promise later to never leave. 
Okay, he, he says, Matthew 28, we looked at this a number of months ago in depth. But verse 20, he says, he says, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he's gathered his disciples. He's resurrected from the dead. He gathers his disciples on this mountain. They're worshiping him. They're, they're doubting. They're trying to figure out what does this mean that Jesus is now alive and what does it mean for us and all these different things. And he, he commissions them. He says, look, what I've done now is going to have implications for all places for all the rest of time, and you're going to be a part of it. And he promises, I'll be with you always. And then he leaves. Right? Again, what is going on? But at the same time, he also promises that when he left, we still wouldn't be alone. So another account of that same situation, Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples, he says, you'll receive power. He's talking about the fact that he's going to leave. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here we are, Gladstone, Missouri. This is part of the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took, them out of, took him out of their sight. And while he was go, going, they were gazing into heaven, right? I mean, you can imagine. Wait, what, what's just happened? He was, he's gone. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. These are angels. These are heavenly messengers. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven, or in my translation is, hey, shut your mouths. Like, what are you looking at? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. So Jesus is leaving, but he says something's coming, and then there's this promise that he's going to come back, right? He says, you will receive the Spirit and then we're told this Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go. What does this mean? Why does it matter that he, he ascended? I mean, you, you could look at this and go, Jesus, you're victorious. You did it. You, you defeated death through your, through your death. You, you defeated the grave. You're, you're alive. You've been resurrected. Nobody, this, is, this is it. Let's, now, let's crown you king. In fact, that's what's going on in Acts 1, is the disciples are going, hey, it's kingdom time, right? Like, you've done everything you needed to do, and, and now it's time for, for it all to just be the way it's supposed to be. And he says, no, there's more that needs to happen. And he leaves. And so you go, well, why? Why did he have to do that? Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is awesome because it, it goes back and it looks at a lot of what happened in the Old Testament and then helps us understand, what did that mean? In light of Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're told this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And in other words, because Jesus has ascended, we should have greater confidence in being his followers. He goes on, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So in other words, what Jesus did on earth, he walked through all the things that you and I would face. Not, not every detail, same thing, but all the types of temptation. There's nothing you face where you go, well, you know, I really had it worse than Jesus. No, he, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He lived life perfectly as a human should. And the result is then what, what we're told elsewhere in Scripture is that we put our faith in him 
What God does is he credits Jesus' obedience on our account because Jesus took our sin upon himself at the cross. We get what we could never do because Jesus did what we could never do. This is good news. But again, he's passed through the heavens. We ask, well, again, why? Why did he have to leave? Now, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but you, you flash forward to Hebrews chapter 9. It can get, you can get kind of lost in some of the details, but if you stay a little bit zoomed out, you realize, oh, it's explaining what we just saw in more depth in Hebrews 4. And so I want you to just hear a little bit of it. Hebrews 9, verse 12, he says, He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. See, now here, the, the, we're making this comparison. He's been called a high priest. It, it's all looking back on this sacrificial system that we found in the Jewish faith. And what we're told is Jesus has come. He's now the priest overseeing this sacrifice, except now the sacrifice is actually himself. And so instead of going to the temple and going into this most holy place where the sacrifice would then be offered to God, what we're told is Jesus goes himself into the most holy place. You say, well, okay, so he went into this physical space in the temple there in Jerusalem. No, he goes into the most holy place. He actually goes into heaven itself. You see, that temple was just a copy, we're told, of what heaven is really like. But Jesus, he goes in there himself, into the very place of heaven, by his own blood. And the result is redemption. It's forgiveness. We're told more. Verse 24, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Okay, now all of Scripture shows that Jesus is himself God, and yet the Father is referred to as God here. That's what we're, we're talking about, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Son appears in the presence of the Father. And he did not do this to offer him, himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. In other words, he wasn't needing to do this year after year after year like we see in the Jewish religion. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he's appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this, judgment. That's the plight of every single one of us. We will die. We will face the judgment of God. We cannot escape him. We cannot hide. We will have to answer for our lives. We will answer for our response to him as he has revealed himself. Every single one of us. But so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, he's already done that, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And again, a lot happening there. But you ask the question, why did Jesus leave? He left to prove that we have somewhere to go. He's gone to prepare a place, and he's demonstrating that there is more. More is to come, and so we are to be the people who wait for him, and what we will find is he has perfectly done what we couldn't do to give us what we could only dream of, and that is to be with God for all eternity. Because Jesus came and then ascended, we know that we can be with him forever, that we can be forgiven 
and brought into the family of God and be with him forever. That's, uh, once again, what we celebrate. That's why we gather. That's why we do anything in his name is because of what he has done for us. So, second thing, if the spirit of Jesus goes with you, okay, second implication, if the spirit of Jesus goes with you, now I want to stop there. I'm saying the spirit of Jesus because Jesus promised, hey, look, I'm going to go away, but the spirit's coming. But understand, this isn't something, this is still God. It's God with us. And in fact, it's, the Spirit of God is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus multiple times. Acts 16, 7. We're told the Spirit of Jesus did something, did not allow them to, to make a certain place. The Spirit was guiding the missionaries at that point. Philippians 1, 9. Paul prays, I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And that's not the right verse. But, you know, it, there's one in there that says the Spirit of Christ. I'm sorry, I, don't, I messed that up. Furthermore, we're told, though, that if we are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.22, He has put His seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. You see, because Jesus went, He sent His Spirit. And He gives it to those who trust Him. We who are Christians have the Spirit of the living God living in us. That's the promise. And so if the Spirit of Christ goes with you, there is no place where he can't guide you, okay? This is what David was getting at, Psalm 139. I can't escape your spirit if I wanted to. But what I understand is, one, there is no place, God, where you can't guide me. He says it, verse 8, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there, right? Heights and depths, you're there. He goes on, he says, if I live at the eastern horizon, settle at the western limits. Vertical, I mean, horizontal, east to west. He's describing this spatial idea. He says, look, there's no space in the whole universe and all that is known where you aren't there. And he goes on, he says, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand, that hand of blessing will hold on to me. There's no place where God, the Spirit of Jesus, cannot guide you. And this is what Jesus promised, John 14, 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. That's why the Spirit's given to us. For every single person who would trust Jesus to know that we can be guided by the very God of the universe. He can live in us, guide us, help us. That there's nowhere we can go where He isn't wanting and able of helping us. So we're told in John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. In other words, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they're not divided. These aren't three gods. This is one God, three persons, perfectly united, doing the will of one another. And so he's guiding us perfectly. That's his intent, is to, to guide us. And there's no place that we can go where he isn't they're wanting to guide us forward. So second thing, if the Spirit of Jesus goes with you, there's also no time when He can't guard you. Okay, there's no time when He can't guard you. No place where He can't guide you, no time when He can't guard you. David goes on, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light around me will be night, right? What he's getting at here, he says, the night shines like the day. Darkness is not dark. He's speaking of the change in, in time. That's how we, 
That's how we monitor time, right? Is dark and light, morning and evening. And he's saying it doesn't matter what time of day it is. You're there. And you'll guard me. No, no matter how dark it feels around me, I can count on you to guard me, to help me. So I, I ask you, what's your response to God's presence? Is it, is it this inhale in apprehension? Uh-oh. He's here. What am I going to do? Or is it this exhale of acceptance? Oh, he's here. I can be known. I can be cared for, guided, guarded. You see, for the, the non-Christian, for the person that, that says, you know what, he even says, you know what, I like this idea, but I don't want God. I don't want to walk with him. I, don't, I just want him to do his thing. I'll do mine. We'll be happy. It'll be fine. And everything beyond that, for that, the, that person that says, I don't identify with Jesus, I don't want to know Jesus, don't want to walk with him, not my thing. The presence of God then equals scrutiny and intrusion. Right? We just see God as he, he's just there, just in my business. God, will you just get out of my business? Just, there's lots more important things. Like take care of all that like hunger and homelessness and all these other things. Like stop messing with me. But for the Christian, God's presence equates to love and security. We're told, Romans 8, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, is there any time when we can be separated from the presence of God, which equals the love of God? As it's written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. This will come if you walk with Jesus. You'll face this kind of difficulty. Paul says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we find the love of God most fully. That's where we experience it. That's where we're brought into the family of God where we can know the God of the universe who is always here. So we take you back, that gospel prayer that we looked at last week, right? This first thing that we need to remind ourselves that because of Jesus, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you see and know that, that God's presence is actually a good thing, because of what Jesus has done, there is nothing that I have done that could make God love me less and nothing I could do that would make him love me more. It's all built on what Jesus has already done. So furthermore, because of that, I can seek him boldly in my time of need. Hebrews 4 goes on. He says, therefore, because of what Jesus did, right, going through the heavens and all these things, he identifies, he, he saves us, he gives us forgiveness. He says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Some of you may know the name Tim Keller. Famous pastor, author, New York City, planted a, a church, been highly influential. He passed away just a couple days ago after a battle with cancer. Things took, thought they were doing better and, and took a, a turn. And he died, was on hospice less than a day. 
and he passed away. He's been highly influential in my life, just a great source of encouragement and understanding and insight. He famously said, really in, in light of what we find here in Hebrews 4, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. In Christ, you, you get to, to come to the king, the king not of just a, a province or a country, but the king of the universe. You get to go to him boldly. Whatever's going on, whatever time of day, wherever you are, and find mercy and grace to help. That's his heart. That's what he wants for you. That's what he offers to us in Christ. That's what his presence means. It's this incredible access. So finally, if the Spirit of Jesus goes with you, last thing you need to know, you have everything you need for everlasting joy. You have everything you need for everlasting joy. Just a little while ago, we sang, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's one of my favorite songs. Always glad when we sing it. Because the reality is, you and I, we need Jesus. And, and we all have to come to grips with, is that true? Do I really? Because I, I can maybe get by, think I get by, do okay on my own. But do I really need Jesus? Do I need him like we sang in that song? So you have to come to grips with that. But I want to ask you, do you want him? Do you want Jesus? See, because we, it's not the same. Too often we live our lives knowing, yeah, I need Jesus. I need a little bit more Jesus. I'm going to go to church because I need just a little bit more Jesus. I'm going to maybe do this thing because I just need a little bit more Jesus. But then there's these limits. We, we, we kind of cut ourselves off because we go, well, yeah, I need Jesus. I need, some, I need some Jesus. But, you know, I mean, there's these other things that I really want. So how, how do I get enough Jesus that I need but, but then can want all the other stuff? Psalm 1611 tells us, it's David speaking. He says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. So what David came to understand, he said, if I'm with God, I have everything. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy the things that God has provided, but we enjoy them because they come from the hand of God. Not just because of what they are in themselves. So you have to come to grips with, what do you need? But also, what do you really want? This is the second prayer is just reminding ourselves daily, God, you're all I need for everlasting joy. One of the things, you, you begin to walk with the Lord over the time, and, and this is something I think that's meant to grow, our ache for him, our desire to be with him. And so just in the hours before Tim Keller died, his son posted on Twitter this message. He said, I'm thankful. This was Tim Keller. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home, he said. 
So that's somebody who knew deeply how much he needed Jesus. That's somebody through the trials of, of life had learned, man, I want nothing more than Jesus. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we're, we're told, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, you can add Tim Keller to that, that list, surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the trailblazer, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. What is that joy? Well, in part, it's the joy of you and I being with him for all eternity. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he calls us into this kind of living to be with him. So maybe you say, just, just two things, maybe you say, you know what, that sounds good, but man, I, I don't know, it, it, his presence doesn't feel close, it doesn't, I, I don't know what happened to it, it seems a little lost for me. This is a proverb I came across this week, not from the book of Proverbs, just a saying, look for a thing where you dropped it, it's there. And very often that's the truth in my life, in my walk with the Lord. You go, man, I'm missing that time, that fellowship with him. What happened to it? Where did it go? Just go back. I dropped it. It's right there. It didn't go anywhere except for where I set it down. And, and God's not gone anywhere. He's right there wanting to have fellowship with me and with you. And we sang at the very beginning, I always think about this when we sing, because it's right and good that we sing joyful things, right? So he said, there's joy in my soul, right? right at the beginning, at the top. And some of you, you walked in here, and that wasn't what you were feeling. So to sing that means either you're saying, you know what, that's not true, this is just a farce, I'm just going through the motions, or you're sitting there longing, going, man, I so want joy in my soul, or out of an act of defiance, of, of just clinging to the Lord, you're going, yes, that is true. I know it's there, and I'll sing it, and I'll say it. And maybe, God, would you bring that feeling, that reminder? Because here's the reality, that if you've trusted Christ at some point, he has done something in your soul. He's awakened something. And there is joy in your soul deep. But all too often, we just sort of heap a bunch of other stuff on top. And so it just it takes some, some effort to start pulling some of that stuff off and go, oh, wait, there it is. I found it. Oh, yeah. I knew it was there, but man, it's so covered up with all this other junk. But there it is. There's the joy. We talk about the presence of God, and, and he's with you everywhere. But, you know, years ago there was a, an ad campaign. It was for beer, so we'll just say that. But, but the whole idea, because they do the best ads, right? Um, <laughs> But the question was, where's your beach? Or, or the statement, find your beach. 
And so I want to encourage you. For some of you, you go, you know what? I want to know God. But, you know, I really, I experience him more if I'm, if I'm able to get out on the beach. Or I experience him more if I'm, if I'm able to just, you know, have that, like, four-hour window where I can just sit down with a cup of coffee and sit in my chair and look out the window and watch the birds. Or, or when I can go hiking on that mountain in, that, in Colorado when I can get away. And that's fine. In fact, if we, we, we read of the presence of God throughout the scriptures, we find there are places where his presence is more intense. There's, there's no place where he is not, but there are places where his presence is more intense. And in our own lives, there will be places where it's more intense. So find your beach, find your mountain, find your picturesque little Instagram worthy spot in your house, whatever. But know that he's there at the DMV too. <laughs> that you can walk with him at all times and in all places. God is far more than a wingman. He is the Lord of space and time. And if you insist upon your own way, if you insist upon a God of your own making, your only response to his presence can be dread. But if you will come to him on his terms, as he is, his omnipresence should bring nothing but delight. Turn to him and you will find he's already there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are the all-knowing, ever-present God. And you have gone to great lengths to bring us to yourself. I do pray for my friends that are here that have yet to know you, yet to bow the knee to the Lord of time and space, the King of the universe, that today would be a day of great consideration, if not the day of salvation. And God, I pray for each of us who, who do know you, but yet maybe in different places when it comes to appreciating and delighting in your presence, Lord, grow us, grow our hearts, grow our joy, help us to realize that you are there and we can turn to you. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us and join us again next week for another podcast from the Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.